Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Irish Home Show. I'm your host, Ben Thompson, the friendly estate agent, and this week we're going to be delving more into the house hunting process and taking you through bidding on a property, how to make offers on a house, and how to hopefully successfully win a bidding war. So far in this first season of the Irish Home Show, I've taken you through each of the stages in the house buying journey, from saving up for your deposit to applying for a mortgage, and then in the last two episodes, talking about house hunting and finding the right property for you. Now we're going to be talking about bidding, and for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to take you through our explainer section, where I will give you some insights, details, and tips about making offers in the market at the moment. After that, I have a great interview with Robert Hoban, the Managing Director of Offer.io. Offer are one of Ireland's leading online bidding portals. You may see them around, a lot of agents are starting to use them now. You can place bids live and you can see where other bids have come in. It's a good way to bring transparency to the process. Finally, at the end, we have our regular features. I'm going in, out and away and comparing three properties on the centre of town, on the outskirts and out of town. This week, I've got three of our own properties to look at, all around seven or 800,000 euros. Then we're also going to be looking at new home versus old home, where I compare a new build property in an area. This time, it's going to be Cherrywood in South Dublin versus a similar older property in the area. I'm actually going to look at a nearly new property that's only about five years old and how they compare at the similar price range. And finally, at the end, I'm going to wrap up with our news segment. There's big news out tonight about central bank lending limits, and we're talking through those, so stick around for the end. Thanks for joining us. This is episode seven of the Irish Home Show. Please subscribe. Uh, Let's get on with the show. Welcome to our explainer section. Here I'm going to take you through how to prepare an offer for a property you like and how to hopefully win a bidding war. Firstly, if you've been listening to the previous episodes in this series, you'll know I've already coached you in being perfectly prepared when you're going to a house viewing. Make sure that you've spoken to the agent and started to get to know them and they to get to know you. Make sure you are personally well prepared, having your mortgage approval and hopefully your deposit in place as well. You want to be walking into that house in a position where you are ready to make an offer. We've also gone through what to do on the house viewing, what to look for in the house. And now you're probably walking out the door thinking, right, this is the house that we want. How do we make an offer? The first thing I'm going to say to you is stop. Don't rush in and make an offer there and then to the agent on the doorstep. It may come across a bit desperate and you're better off going away and working up your perfect offer rather than throwing it at a flustered agent as he's trying to show people around a house. Acknowledge to the agent that you're interested in the property and you will be calling them with a bid. Then take your time, even in an oversubscribed property, take your time and go away. It doesn't want to seem like you are so desperate for this house that you'll pay anything for it. Now, the next step, making an offer. I suggest my buyers do two things. Firstly, call up the agent. This could be a couple of hours or a day or two after the viewing and make the offer over the phone. Doing my phone first allows you to just put a bit more emotion in your voice and say, look, we really want this property. And maybe you try and use words like we've really pushed our budget. You know, we want to make it sound like this offer is going to be a good one. 
and there's not much more in the tank. So you're going to be using your emotion to say, look, we really, really want this property. We've done everything we can. We're putting a good offer together and you're going to be explaining why you are a good buyer. You can do this verbally and it helps in certain respects. But then I want you, once you've hung up the phone, having made an offer verbally, is to have the email ready to go with everything you said in there, but a little bit more straightforwardly set out. So that will include who you are, where your offer is, that you have mortgage approval, that you have enough of a deposit to buy this house, and perhaps some extra additional information that will make you look very well prepared, such as having a solicitor you're going to use, a surveyor lined up you're going to use, etc. We talked last week about building yourself up as a good buyer, and this is something we can call the buyer's CV. Your document, it could be an email that you use for every offer you make to new agents. You have it ready to go, and it is outlining why you are a good buyer. In a competitive market, it is essential to see like you are better than the next guy. Agents like myself are not only looking for the highest offer on a property. I am looking for the buyers who are going to follow through first time and buy the house with no fuss and no hassle. So if you can put together everything on your CV to show that you are a really solid buyer, that you're already mortgage approved, you have the cash ready to go, and you have all these other things prepared, you are going to look good compared to the next guy. And you may even get the property ahead of them or for less. Now, after you made the offer, the follow-up is important. This is often the part of the process that is the most frustrating when an estate agent uh, doesn't call you back or doesn't keep you informed of other offers or you hear crickets from them and their clients uh, not knowing if they are interested or accepting of your offer. It can depend on the house and the market. If the house is very busy and lots of offers, you can sometimes be lost in the mix. And that's why a diligent, good agent who keeps track of all their buyers is very important. And also these bidding platforms like Robert Hoban's going to talk to us about after this, uh, how they can automatically inform you of higher bids are actually very, very good as well. There are also other properties that might be quieter and you're making an offer below asking. The agent's going to take that to the client and they may hum and ha and may not immediately accept it. So again, you may not hear back from the agent as quick as you'd like. I would suggest if you don't hear back within at least a day or two, I would give them another call or uh, another email. Make sure that you're in their face politely, but that they don't forget you and they know oh, I've got to call that person back or I've got to email that person back. They have asked about the status of their offer or if there are any other offers. Now, if you're the first bidder on a property, it can be difficult to assess where you should make your first offer. My first caution is don't always assume the property is going to go for over the asking price. It's not the case, even in a strong market. Agents price their properties at different levels depending on what they're aiming to achieve or how their strategy works in selling the property. They may price it very high and are expecting offers within, you know, close to that offer. Uh, some price very low and they do expect it to go over. So these are my tips for making an initial offer at the right level. Firstly, one, do your own research. You should know that street or that area better than the agent. You can look at the price register and you can scour the property portals to see what other properties are on the market and what have sold recently. You should know the comparables as well as they do. If a similar house is sold down the street, you can use that as a base to start your bidding from. If the house in question is in better condition than the previous sale, then you can adjust for that. If it has an extension and is slightly bigger, you can work out the price per square foot and then apply that to the house you're trying to bid on and use that as a good logic for a first offer. Tip number two, always make a fair first offer. Even if a property has been sat on the market for a while, making a very cheeky low offer is going to 
put you in bad stead with the agent and with the vendor. You can annoy some vendors and they'll refuse to go back to you if uh, they don't like where your first offer has come in. So do your research and then make a fair first offer that you know, you'd be delighted they accepted, but isn't unreasonable. Tip number three, always when you start out bidding on a property, set your maximum limit. You should know this exactly what you can afford to pay for that property, having worked out what deposit you have, what mortgage approval you have, and your purchasing costs. If it needs some immediate work, factor that in too and take that off your total. Set a figure that you know you can't go over and stick to it. You may not start out with a bid of that figure, but if the bidding gets going or if you are pushed by the agent and the vendor up to a certain level, go up to that level and no more. If you overstretch, you'll regret it later. Tip number four, make your offer an odd number. As I said earlier, you're trying to add a bit of color around your offer. If you just go for a round number, 300,000 euros, it sounds like it's an arbitrary figure you've just done because it is a nice round number. But if you can come and make an unusually numbered offer, such as 305,500 euros, you could say, we've really thrown the kitchen sink at this offer. We've put in every penny we had. I borrowed money from friends and family. This is our very last penny. It actually sounds a much more authentic offer and vendors and agents can really get behind it and believe that, look, that is their best offer. If you start with a round number, they think, oh, look, you know, they'll go up another five, they'll go up another 10. I can keep pushing them. So an odd number can sometimes disrupt that and convince them you really have stretched yourself to your limit and you won't go any higher. Finally, my tip number five, if you are bidding on a property and the bidding war has been going on for a while and you're feeling like the agent is slow to get back to you, or if it's a property that is very quiet and you're the only bidder making offers and they're slow to come back to you, give your offer a deadline. Make an offer on a Monday or a Tuesday and say you have till Friday at 12 p.m. to accept this offer. This is our best offer. And after that, uh, we're not going to consider that you're serious at a level we can afford. And we're going to go off and look at other properties. This can help sharpen the mind of agents and vendors. And if they think, look, we have an offer on the table, we can sit on our hands and be patient and wait. Uh, and hopefully we'll get a higher one. Uh, this can just put a little bit of a limit on the time that they can leave you hanging. And hopefully they might decide, oh, look, we can hang on, but we might lose this offer by Friday. Uh, let's, let's consider it, let's take it, or let's negotiate to a figure we can both accept. So I had a great question on this vein from a follower today, Anne-Marie on Instagram. Uh, she asked, does starting with a high first offer encourage the vendor to make a quick sale or does it make them want more? This is a really good point. Sometimes, unfortunately, you come in with a high offer asking or maybe you go slightly over to try and win the bidding and not get dragged into a bidding war. And a vendor can turn around and tell the agent, that's great, what a great first offer. I can't wait to see what our next offer is. Um, it's rare, but sometimes they do get ahead of themselves and agents are devastated that they're going to have to try and explain, well, no, look, this is a very good first offer. Maybe we should consider taking it. Um, the answer is it depends. Sometimes, yes, you can come in and uh, making a forceful first offer to try and take it off the table will work. I think I really would think a strong relationship with the agent would help make sure that you've had a chat with them and you really need them to go and ask their client, you know, what will you take? What is your final limit uh, that would take it off the table? Unfortunately, markets like this, vendors can think the sky is the limit and hope, look, if I have someone interested at that level, I may have two or three others and I could keep it bidding up. So few are prepared to do that unless they're in a particular rush. They want to get the property set agreed uh, and they are fair in their expectations. So be careful with that. Now, how to win a bidding war. 
If you've started bidding on a property or got involved in the bidding halfway through and the bids keep going up and up, it can be so frustrating. Alan from Cloud Accounts asked me a question today. How do we know that bids are real and the process is transparent? Now, all agents are regulated by the Property Services Regulatory Authority. I have never seen fake bids. Uh, it is rumored to happen. But sometimes it is just that pernicious other buyer who wants that house just as much as you and are willing to go the same level that you will. Most of the time, it is legitimate. It's just annoying. So here is how to try and beat another buyer. It's very common these days for buyers to go up in very small increments. A lot of people have started recently going up in just 1,000 euro increments. And that's fine if you're bidding on something for maybe 200,000 euros. If it's something worth 400, 500,000 euros or more, uh, it's going to get very frustrating for the buyer and for the vendor who is being updated at each stage of the new offers and can be very frustrated by uh, small increments. One tip is try and go large. If you can, the aim is to try and knock out the other bidder. If you can, go and put a five or 10,000 euro bid on top. Within your max budget that we've already agreed and set upon, you're not going to go over that. But if you think, look, I have a comfortable limit up there, uh, I can go in higher here. It may take the other guy out of action thinking, well, this buyer has a much stronger uh, war chest than me. I'll drop out. There's no point. It sometimes works. Sometimes they just keep coming. Your alternative to that is, again, perhaps go to the agent and say, you know, what will they take? What is the vendor looking for? And try and go in and match that price level that they would take it off the table for. Again, unfortunately, we as agents are obligated to go back to any other bidder to tell them that we have another offer. So if even if you made an offer at a higher level and the vendor would seemingly take that, we do have to go and tell any other buyers. And sometimes they can be very disappointed if they're not allowed the chance to bid again, even if it has jumped up quite a bit. Now, Ruthie asked me a good question over Instagram. Is it ever okay to match someone else's bid? And I said, yes, absolutely. Um, I've actually had someone do it to me today. I actually come on to this a bit when I talk to Robert Hoban in a minute about what is your offer? Your offer is not just the number on a piece of paper or on your email, the figure that you're going to pay for the property. Your offer is you as a package. How are you a better buyer than the other guy? So that includes if you are mortgage approved or a cash buyer, if you have another house to sell and that might take time and become a chain. So perhaps rather than competing monetarily with a higher offer, make sure you are a better buyer than the other guy. As we've already discussed, you've prepared your buyer's CV and you're making yourself look good to the vendor and the agent. But certainly if you are a first time buyer up against someone who needs to sell their house and hasn't done so yet, you're going to look a far better bet than those guys. And you may get the house by matching the offer. You may even get the house for 5,000 less if you can prove that you are gonna be a quicker, more reliable buyer. Unfortunately, cash is king. If you come up against a cash buyer, it is very hard to beat them. If they've already sold their home or they have the cash sitting there in the bank, it can make the deal much quicker and much more straightforward. Now, one trick, if you do come up against a cash buyer or an investor, your last hope is something I find a lot of people are doing recently. It's been made popular by Kieran at Crazy House Prices is to write a letter to the vendor via the agent, of course, outlining why you would really love this property. If you're a first time buyer, if you are a young family and you have kids that you want to raise in the local school, pulling on those heartstrings can really make a difference with a lot of vendors, especially with a house where they may have grown up in or raised their own kids in. It is actually very heartwarming to get a letter saying, I want to raise my kids here. It looks like a beautiful home. I want to send my kids to the local school there. And many vendors will choose you over an investor or a cash buyer, perhaps, who has no attachment to the area. So 
Try every angle you can and you just might get lucky. Finally, if you don't look like you're winning the bidding war, be prepared to walk away, but amicably. If you've reached your limit and you just can't go any higher or there's a persistent bidder who just keeps getting ahead of you, there's no shame in saying, look, that's too much. We're done at this level. Uh, we're going to offer buy something else. Between a quarter and a third of deals fall through with the first buyer. And as an agent, I'll always be going back to the first underbidder to see if they're still interested. So keep yourself on the list and keep in touch with that agent. I'll often get emails every couple of weeks after I've gone said agreed from the underbidders. That's really good to make sure that they're still there. If the winning bidder is taking too long or having issues with their mortgage or their survey, then they'll come straight back to you and you may just get your house of your dreams after all. And you never know, often my most disappointed buyers find a similar or better house nearby just weeks afterwards. These things come up serendipitously. If the house is meant for you, it'll find you. That's our bidding guide. Coming up next, I'm talking to Robert Hoban about how to make online bids. Stay tuned. The Irish Home Show is brought to you by the Irish Home Buyers Journal, our guide to buying your home in Ireland. This is your perfect companion to the podcast. The home buying section takes you through viewing checklists for each of the properties you visit, and you can keep track of the bids you make on each home. Then when you go say it agreed, we have excellent checklists which take you through every stage in the next part of your journey. Visit irishhome.ie to buy your own copy and use the discount code SHOW to save on your purchase and packaging. So this week, I'm delighted to welcome on Robert Hoban, who is the Managing Director of Offer.io. They are one of Ireland's leading online bidding platforms for property. Robert, how are you? Very well, thanks. Good to see you, Ben. Good, good to talk to you. I'm finding more and more now buyers on the doorstep are all immediately asking me after seeing a property, how are you handling the bidding process for this sale? They're all expecting me to say, look, is it going to be online? Is it on the website? It's obviously become a hugely more prevalent thing in the last two or three years with COVID. What are you guys doing and how is it expanding in Ireland? Sure, yeah. We'd like to think that we were at the, the forefront of introducing many of these concepts. So the idea of being able to place an offer online to transparently display other offers for a property in a sort of independently verified fashion, but on behalf of agents. So we are a tool, first and foremost, for estate agents to be able to use to allow their customers to place offers online, but also to give everybody the comfort that everything is legitimate, genuine, dated and timestamped, but also that only genuine buyer proof of funds and photo ID submitted are involved in the offer process. So we're seeing a huge take-up. We started before COVID, but COVID has certainly accelerated it. I'm sure, yeah. It was the perfect time for all of these on online platforms to expand, taking the sort of interface out of people's hands and putting it online, whether it's with 3D walkthroughs or video tours and things like that. It's all really expanded. And people have got a lot more comfortable with doing things via this, via Zoom and via various other technological means rather than the old-fashioned ways of doing it. Now, how many agents now in Ireland are using Offer? So we have 100 companies, and that list is growing all the time and ranging from small independent regional agents through to some of the bigger groups as well. And it's residential and commercial property also. And we're just rolling out some new products. So for example, for lettings or rentals and for new homes too, where sort of we're looking to be able to offer a full service suite of digital processes for all transaction types, all property types 
with no exceptions. Okay, great. So if I'm a buyer, say I'm a first-time buyer and I'm looking at a house with an estate agent on their website, how will I know that it's they are using offer and how do I start the process if I wanted to make a bid? Sure, yeah. We provide two parallel services or methods of interaction for agents and their customers. So we have our own platform on our own website where properties are listed by the agents and potential customers can sign up and register and submit offers. But we also provide a white labeled widget technology that sits on the estate agent's own website that their customers can use the agent's own website to to register to place offers. So either destination is fine and agents can submit a link very easily by text or by email to customers so they can very quickly tap on the link and then register on the smartphone shaped app that pops up. Okay, great. So I'm sure it's easy to use and quite intuitive. What sort of information do I as a buyer need if I am first logging in, first registering with you guys to prove who I am and I'm an able, capable buyer? Sure. The process is customizable, so it does vary slightly from agent to agent. Some agents have different ways of onboarding their prospective buyers. But broadly speaking, buyer will be asked to confirm some key information such as, you know, are they buying with finance or with cash? Are they buying subject to the sale of another property, for example? So in other words, how are you proposing to fund the purchase? Because for a transaction that could be anything from 250000 to several million, it's important that everybody is qualified. Uh, and then also other information such as, are you buying for investment purposes or for owner occupation purposes? So there's, I'd say, simple Q&A type steps. But then sure. as evidence of that, the buyer can very quickly upload documentation just to back up whether they're saying they're cash or for mortgage. Or for example, if they confirm they're buying with a mortgage, they can also confirm where they're at on the journey. So for example, I haven't yet applied. Okay, mm -hmm. a customer might need some assistance in getting through that application process, or they may have already applied. They may have approval in principle. They may even potentially have a, a loan offer from a previous property they were unsuccessful on. And obviously that will probably make them quite a favorable buyer because they're going to be able to complete the deal more quickly. So the idea is that the system will allow agents to build up a solid profile of the customer, not just the offer amount, because it's not necessarily about the bidding amount. It's not always the highest bid wins, in a, particularly in a private treaty or conditional process. It's as much about who is best placed to, to have the lowest risk of not completing for the seller. I'm very glad you said that, Robert, because that was one of the things I was going to ask you about. For me, I always bang on about this. It isn't always the highest placed offer. The computer says no to anyone else type of bidding in a bidding situation. I'm always very, as an agent myself, I'm always very concerned with why are they buying? You know, what's their reason to be here? Have they got a better reason than the next guy? Or are they better funded? Or is there less of a risk in their chain, perhaps? And it's very subjective, in my opinion. That was one of my concerns and one of my uh, fears about online bidding, that it was very much computer says no sort of system and if, if you're not the final bidder there's they don't take into account some of the other sort of mitigating factors perhaps what you've described there is ultimately the difference between auction and private treaty and in an auction scenario it is being sold to the highest bidder and that's the, the sort of you might say the selling point of an auction is that you know that if you're the highest bidder you will buy that property but it's unconditional so it doesn't allow for subtleties like subject to me getting my loan or subject yes. to me selling my property. So therefore it excludes a lot of potential buyers. So it's actually the reason we set up offer in the first place was I came from an online auction background as a director of BidX1. 
we were doing a lot of online auctions and very successfully. But I noticed from talking to agents and buyers that the vast majority, in fact, over 95% of properties are sold by private treaty for that very reason. So as to allow conditional buyers to enter the bidding process. But we wanted to bring some of the benefits of being able to do it online. It's transparent, it's recorded. There can be no fear around, is the estate agent making up this buyer or making up this offer that I'm asked to yes. bid against ultimately? Uh, so the estate agent can provide an arm's length distance when it comes to the actual bid process, but is still there to advise and ultimately choose on behalf of their seller, which is the buyer and the offer that they want to transact with, which may not necessarily be the highest offer. Okay, perfect. I want to circle back a minute and just ask you there. So you, you buyers supply a certain amount of information about themselves and their proof of funds. How much of that is passed on to the agent? How much of the agent uh, how much does the agent see of that? Well, obviously, in these days of GDPR and financial mm -hmm. discretion, some people are a bit cagey about giving out a lot of this information. So what, what do you have to submit for a typical agent when they're using offer? Sure. And it's understandable that you know, everybody is dead right to be concerned about sort of the levels of data provision. And so the estate agent will see whatever the customer uploads. I think the main area of sensitivity that you're probably talking about is customers don't want the agent to know what their maximum approval is for their mortgage. That seems to be the one that everyone... It's uh, the one that buyers uh, often bring up as a concern. Now, as an agent myself, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen someone's mortgage approval and say, look, I know I can squeeze another 50K out of them because there's a load of mitigating factors as how much cash they have, how much work they want to do to the house. So I think yeah. personally it's overblown, but it is something that comes up. So but it's still it? going to be a concern and this is as you said as an agent you know that but as a buyer as a consumer you don't necessarily know mm. what an agent is doing or not doing so th there's two things i'll say first of all that provides comfort to buyers the first is that they don't necessarily always have to show evidence of their total approval there are other ways of doing it and i've and we've seen now we've had thirty thousand offers processed through the system so we've seen wow. a huge amount of evidence of how people are best using it so some buyers for example are uploading a letter from their mortgage broker confirming that the offer amount that they've submitted is covered by a loan without necessarily revealing what the total loan approval amount is. Now, yes, I have of one course, of those today, and that's perfectly adequate from our point of view. Yeah, so as an agent, you know that a mortgage broker is not going to commit themselves on headed paper to something that <laughs> is factually incorrect. Equally, yeah. you could sometimes people get their solicitor to provide, you might say, validation that the, the person is good for the money, so to speak. So there are ways around that. Then we, we also see that other people are not worried about it because the introduction of a verified bidding system removes the entire concern that the agent is somehow going to be able to manipulate you up to your, your maximum amount. Yes. Because that okay. is the whole point of the original fear was that if you are in a vacuum as such and you are talking to an agent over the phone and the agent, let's say the asking price is... 450,000 and you have approval to 460,000, but your offer is 440,000, right? You're, you're 10,000 shy of the asking price, but you're 20,000 shy of your maximum limit. That mm -hmm. just maybe perhaps going to invent other buyers or bids so as to get you up to the 470. So that, possible. or whatever the figure I mentioned there was the maximum of the loan. But clearly now the agent is not able to manipulate the bidding because and, most, and the vast majority of agents have no intention of doing that anyway, but of course they find it hard to prove it to the consumer <laughs> because you can't invite people in to look at their emails and say, look, I promise you this is a legitimate offer I have from somebody, whereas this provides that comfort. But the fact that every buyer has to upload their photo ID, so passport or a driver's license, okay. and we've got ID verification software that confirms that is that person, 
and their proof of funds. So that and that's on record permanently, independently, so that if there was ever a dispute or if there was ever a challenge, the agent will always be able to point to the logs to say, look, it wasn't me inventing a buyer or bidding away on behalf of somebody. And so that compared to the old process of where all a buyer had to go on was just the agent over the phone telling them what was going on. Um, And I was an agent for nearly 20 years, so I can speak to the fact that it was always this. You don't look that old, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Uh, It was something we were always being accused of or inferred. And I understand. Of course. Yeah, all the the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's, always, it's in the heat of a bidding war, and I can understand buyers frustrated. There's always that pernicious bidder who just keeps coming back with a little bit more, a little bit more, and you start to get paranoid that it's, it's a fake bid or something like that. But I've never, never seen it firsthand myself. It's always just other buyers out there who are just getting ahead of well, it. It can have the impact it can have is so serious that I have plenty of anecdotal and personal examples in my career of people who have walked away from their dream property that they wanted to buy not because they didn't want the property, not because it was too expensive for them, but because they didn't trust the process. Yeah, that's sad. And that shows the point why a software like Offer is so useful. Okay, while we're talking about that, let's talk about the other side. Then what does the buyer see? They've started a bidding process with you guys on a particular agency and they've added their bid. And what do they see next if another property, another person adds their bid? Sure. So the first thing is that the agents have a choice to whether to display offers or not display offers. So that's not necessarily a decision we make as the software provider. So, for example, we are live with a number of agents in the UK and other countries, and there isn't a culture of sharing offers with buyers. So a lot of agents using offer in the UK don't display the existing offers, but they do provide the comfort that every offer that is submitted is recorded and legitimate and has the funds to back up their offer to purchase. In Ireland, however, the the culture is actually a little more transparent. So even though we give the option for agents to show or hide offers within the little offer panel, the widget, Mm -hmm. the vast majority, in fact, I think almost 100% of agents opt to show the offers. That's funny, isn't it? I think from buyers, they do like to get in the weeds of who am I bidding against, almost asking for information about them because they're trying to to psych them out or trying to work out how far they're going to go. So if I bid, I'm buyer one and I bid 350 and someone comes in at 355, they'll be able to see that on there. And if a third buyer comes in at 360, that will total up and you'll be able to see the last three offers on the table. So if you want to come in again, you know you're competing against one or two others and you know what the last two or three bids were and how they're going up in a progression. Correct, yeah, and the intervals between them and the time frame. But also, and as equally important, is the instant communication of those offers. So one of the big problems that I know is experienced everywhere, and again, I refer back to my own career, is how difficult it is for agents to continually update the customers on what's going on with the property. And buyers, successful or unsuccessful, always complain about the level of communication from the agent right because you can imagine if you have and even if you have a really really conscientious and earnest agent who is doing their best to try to communicate if you have a popular property if you have several popular properties that are live at the same time and you might have six seven different people placing offers every time someone places an offer that's seven phone calls or to be manually sent out or text messages to try to update everybody and that doesn't happen you know unfortunately what often happens in the analog world is that a buyer will submit an offer and the estate agent will thank them for their offer and then they won't hear anything maybe for a week or two and they'll contact the agent and say look just looking for an update and say oh i'm sorry i sale agreed that last week yeah um 
higher than your offer amount. And of course, the buyer explodes and I'm oh my God, and why couldn't you come back to me? And the agent will say, well, I tried or I, I was just too busy. And obviously, you know, look, there are agents that are more diligent about this than others. But even as I say, the most diligent, it's difficult to do. Whereas in this case, that's all automated. So every time anyone places an offer, the other people who have placed offers will get notified that there's an offer, the offer amount, when it was placed, and a quick tap button for them to increase their offer. Because they've already confirmed their financial profile and they've provided their documents, they don't have to keep resubmitting all that information. They just go in and, and adjust their offer amount. Or not, they can choose not to. It's not an option. They're not obliged to outbid the other person. They might say to themselves, look, I'm a very strong financial profile. I'm happy to sit where I am. And then that's their prerogative. Okay, yes. No, you're absolutely right. And there's always that one bidder who falls through the net. You've got three or four people bidding on something and, and you keep updating them. And one, one goes quiet after a few bids. You think, oh, they're probably out. They haven't come back to me for a few days. And then all of a sudden they come back to you and it's already said agreed and they explode because you didn't keep them in touch. So, and that sounds to me like one of the best parts of your system is that you, you can do that all automated and it doesn't rely on the agent having to get back to everyone. Okay, so that example you said there of a strong cat or a buyer who thinks they're strong, how would that work for me as the agent? If we came out and we had two buyers who were both at 350 or one had just edged ahead at 355 and the other one was refusing to go any higher, but perhaps on paper were in a stronger financial or, or position in their sale, how do I then, how do they get chosen as the buyer versus the guy who may have gone higher? How is that in my remit to, to do for my client? Sure. First of all, that is... is decided ultimately by the seller but obviously with advice from their agent because it's important that a lot of buyers remember that the estate agent is representing the seller right the yes. seller's interest is first and foremost they have a fiduciary care they're they have a contract with the seller they have a fee being paid by the seller so they have to get the best possible result for the seller and the best possible result for the seller which is ultimately what how they decide who the buyer should be is the best possible price but also with the least risk to completion so that's exactly. a balancing act okay yes. because it's great if the two of them align and the highest offer is also the strongest candidate but it often isn't whereby you would have candidates with different strength of financial backup you might say and able to complete it's all to do with the it's to do with risk so there's a risk the highest risk profile is somebody who needs finance and needs to sell their property and is only at the start of their profile because you yes. could be dealing with that buyer for six months and then one of those conditions falls through. There was their house doesn't sell, the bank won't give the loan, and then the whole deal falls through. And the seller loses out, the buyer loses out, the estate agent loses out. So they have to pick the person that has meets as many of the conditions as possible. But you're not going to always get the perfect cash buyer with a million euro just sitting in their bank account. Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be an element of risk. So it's risk mitigation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I try and explain this on day one to most of my sellers. I'm not. I'm sometimes going to tell you not to pick the highest bid because I'm going to find the person who's going to go through that first time. I think probably about 25% of sales fall through on the first buyer and you have to go and re-agree them. And it's very hard to get that momentum back maybe three or four weeks after the initial yeah. viewings and bidding war and your other underbidders have gone away and bought other properties. It's very hard to catch, capture that magic back again and get the same price a second time round. So our aim is to get the first buyer being the right buyer who's going to proceed first time. Exactly, yeah, because it's not always necessarily about the amount. And again, this is where it comes in, though, as to what the levels are, because if you have two offers on the table, one is higher than the other, 
And the highest offer is, you might say, the weaker candidate and the lower offer is the stronger candidate. That can change sometimes by how big that difference is, right? Yes. So, I mean, if it's a difference of 25,000 euro, it might be worth taking the risk and going with the slightly riskier profile. Absolutely. So, you know, my point is there's still a way for somebody, even maybe who isn't the strongest financial profile candidate, to put themselves back in the mix, of course, by having a higher offer. So there are different levers that can be pulled with, with each offer and each candidate by, yeah, by the buyer it, themselves. Yeah, it does make it sound tough for some buyers. It feels a bit discriminatory. You can understand why we're doing it for our clients. Of course, cash is king and a, a pure cash buyer with money in the bank is generally the preferred buyer. But after that, the first time buyer is normally pretty good. They're mortgage approved. They've got no other chain. Assuming there's nothing you know, going to go wrong with the house, the title, the survey and those sort of things. You can normally be certain that they could proceed quite quickly. They may need a couple of extra weeks for admin back and forth with the bank, but they can generally be only sort of one step behind cash. At the moment, it's some Someone who is perhaps in a chain, one or a two-part chain, especially in the market at the moment where deals are a little bit shaky, those are probably down the pegging order and they're a bit more of a concern because if a buyer two two links down the chain falls out, then it has repercussions all the way up the chain and you're out of you don't have control of that. I think first time buyer is almost as good. Yeah, particularly in the Irish market where chains are not really as commonplace as they are in the UK. So in the UK markets, in fact, it's the norm that there's going to be one to four links in a chain. So therefore, if you present as a buyer in a chain, it's actually quite normal. Whereas in Ireland, it's less common. People tend to sell their property first and then try and do a, a deal on their purchase prior to closing or try to time the closings, but they will still sign the contract on the one that they're selling. They may rent in between. They may have an extended closing. There's various ways, but... In a lot of cases, the percentage of buyers submitting offers in Ireland that are not subject to a chain, they may be subject to a mortgage, but they're not subject to a chain. Yes. There's a much higher percentage of those non-chain buyers in Ireland than there are in the UK. That's just the way the culture developed over the years. Yeah, it's funny. I hadn't really noticed that cultural difference. I had, but I had a client recently bidding in the UK and they were part of an eight-part chain, which to yeah. here would be extraordinary. I think the worst I've had at the moment is about a three-part chain here. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. Okay, now going back to bidding, and we're talking about buyers bidding on a property going up in increments. What is your, from your years of experience and from what you see from the inner workings of your sites, what is the sort of recommended strategy? What's the best strategy? Should buyers be going up in small increments of a thousand euro, or would you say uh, go in bigger chunks, 5,000, 10,000 euro? So I think the first thing to think of psychologically or generally is almost in terminology. So the word bidding and the word bid is actually typically associated with auction. And the word offer is typically associated with private treaty. And there's some reasoning behind that because in a, in a people use the word bidding war when they're talking about private treaty properties. But as we said earlier, it's not necessarily all about always about the highest bid that wins the highest offer. So we tend sure. to like to think of the terminology bids for auction offers for private treaty so that the way you think of it is it's your offer it's almost like you have one offer but you may increase it a few times I see. Yeah, and your as offer includes to... not just the price you're willing to pay your offer is your you as a total package we are family and we have a mortgage or we have cash in the bank your offer is your total package rather than just the number on the page exactly it's the conditions attached to your offer that's the simplest yeah. way of describing it because in an auction a bid is unconditional there are no conditions Whereas in a private treaty scenario, an offer is conditional. And so you may have one condition, you may have two conditions, you may have three conditions. So, for example, a condition is often, say, a survey, right? But I know of plenty of examples where people will bring their architect or their builder 
to a property and they'll have a look around it and they'll and the architectural opinion excuse me architectural builder will give them an opinion and they might say to the agent my offer is no longer subject to survey i'm happy sure. to go and sign the contract i've had a, an, an architect looked at it and if all other things were equal and you had another person with the exact same offer and the exact same financial profile but was subject to a structural survey which if turns out to be negative, they will withdraw their offer when that's a higher risk profile than this person who's got that one out of the way. So for people, I would say in a private treaty scenario, it may feel like a bidding war, but it's actually not. It's not an auction mentality. Only feel that you you need to increase your offer if you think you need to make sure that you are considered above everyone else, right? So be aware of your own standing. The agent is not necessarily obliged to share with you all the financial information of the other buyers, right? That's, that sure. is their prerogative. And as a technology, we just provide comfort around the offer amount, the date and the time, the fact that they were real people with lots of funds provided. But an agent, someone may say, look, I see there's an offer 5,000 higher than mine. They may say to the agent, like, is that a cash offer or is that a mortgage offer? And the agent, it is at their discretion to say, well, that's a cash offer or not, or a mortgage offer. And then it's just a case of deciding whether to match that offer or go higher than that other offer or stay where you are based on whether you think you're in a strong or a weak position with the number of conditions attached to your offer. So it's making sure you think of all of those things. So before you go to increase your offer, just check with yourself, am I... Would I have a low scoring or a high scoring if I had to be rated as a buyer, if you know what I mean? That's spot on for what I'm trying to teach people is to, from the, the very beginning of seeing a property, try and build up a relationship with the agent so they know what your offer is, what your package is, what you're coming with. And especially these days, a lot of vendors are actually quite interested who the buyer is going to be. It's always nice to be able to say, look, it's a family whose mother lives down the road or it's not an investor. And so if you can put together that package by furnishing the, the agent with your information and know, knowing who you are, what mortgage you have available, you've already sold, all those sort of things adds to your overall goodness as a candidate. And then the money can just be the final thing that can be agreed. Yeah, and I think... The more the buyer can do to improve their uh, score, so to speak, and it's something actually we're, we're looking at toying with the idea of providing almost some sort of, as an advisory Rating thing to buyers, as a general, would, would their offer be considered strong based on the number of conditions? They should try to reduce the number of conditions as possible. Yes. Um, there are certain things that they can do easily. Other things are not so easy. But for example, buyers who are putting offers on property and they're only just starting to apply for their mortgage. Like they really need to have that, be doing that before they start putting offers on property, right? So I kind of feel that's almost gone out the window. There was there was a bit of a controversy during COVID, at, during one of the second lockdown, I think, where only people who were fully mortgage approved were even allowed to go and visit a property or view a property, uh, and that brought up a lot of issues in the industry. Some agents jumped on that and went a bit too far, demanding extra proof of funds and everything like that before they even let people in. So it does seem like that buyers aren't really scouting around before they have uh, mortgage approval. Now, I bought my house eight, nine years ago and we didn't have any approval at all. We did everything wrong, everything I don't recommend doing. And we went set agree before I even had my mortgage approval. But now I think people are, a lot, are much, much more in line with getting their approvals all done and dusted on paper before they're really even looking at houses and making bids. Yeah, and I think I suppose that there's a differentiation between booking a viewing and placing an offer. I think people viewing because they haven't got proof of funds with them is, is a quite severe thing. Mm. I think it's fine to let people look at a property, but then when they're submitting their offer, then of course they should be expected to be able to provide some sort of evidence. And I think that's the other big thing that's changed. Agents now are typically always looking for proof of funds. So up until only a few years ago, agents were only looking for proof of funds 
from the successful buyer after it had gone sale agreed. Yes. Um, and up until only, I would say, two, three, four years ago, that was the normal. And because when, when I was launching the business, I was saying to agents, you know, you can look, why don't you look for proof of funds from all your bidders? People, and they'll say, oh, but sure, I mean, if I was to do that, I'd be forever looking for emails from people with proof of funds and I'd get nowhere. So I just wait. I take everyone's word for it when they're submitting offers, whether they're a cash or a mortgage buyer or that they have approval. And then I'll accept an offer. We'll go sale agreed, issue the sale advice note, take the booking deposit, which, by the way, doesn't exist in the UK. There's no such thing as a booking deposit. It's a uniquely Irish thing. And take the booking deposit and then look for proof of funds. And of course, sometimes they could have to wait a week or two before the proof of funds comes in by email. And then in some cases, it was all legitimate. But in other cases, it turns out the cash buyer is getting a loan and getting a mortgage. So oh, it happens all uh, over the place. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Because that has changed, because agents now are being a bit more, you might say, vigilant in, and, and not afraid of upsetting buyers by saying, I need your proof of funds before I can even consider your offer. It has probably educated buyers as to the importance now of it because they keep getting asked for their proof of funds yes. so they kind of have it now on their phone saved or on their their desktop yeah and that's, that's so much more savvy and more up to speed and it just goes to show yeah. it proves that, that what use technology can make if you can make it easy for agents then you're not dealing with a million emails with a pdf attachments and things like that but if it, you can it, go into the for, system and just tick a box saying they have provided their proof of fund that makes it so much easier yeah, even for buyers, one of the things that I've heard a lot of complaints from buyers is because they're having to view several properties and try to buy several properties, they keep having to send their proof of funds to different agents all the time yeah. for different properties. One of the nice things, obviously, if that as more and more and more agents are using offer, if a customer has already created an offer account and they've saved their documentation, their photo ID, their proof of funds, they don't have to keep resubmitting it. Any agent who's using offer will be able to as have those documents attached to their offer like automatic okay robert that leads me to my final question i want for you you've made it very easy as you said earlier you can someone can quickly get an email saying there's been a higher offer and they can just click a couple of button clicks and they're already making another higher offer is your system is the online bidding system forcing prices up are vendors getting much more than they would normally for the value of their properties because it is so easy for buyers to make a bid i often hear that assumption but actually the, the statistics are bearing out a slightly different story and if you think about it the reason is without a an online system ensuring that every buyer is legitimate and has provided proof of funds and ID, it was actually much easier to submit offers if you know over True. the phone to agents. And yep. you would just have people, oh yeah, okay, I'll give you 500,000 or I'll give you 510. And as I said, agents weren't in a position to verify buyer's funds until after an offer was accepted when it was often too late. So I think from what we're seeing is it, it is reducing the number of bidders shall we say and it is a bit of an auction term but placing offers to just those that are legitimate and have been verified and have proven that they have the funds so anything that slightly reduces the number of potential people placing an offer typically wouldn't it would do the opposite to driving sure. the price up yeah. which would calm it down a little bit but i think what's what has happened though is that because the demand has been so strong over the last couple of years and the supply so low mm. with or without a software version of it, you are just going to have a ton of buyers and a ton of offers. And I suppose it's probably easy to blame blame the messenger if there's a platform that's providing transparency and openly showing all the offers. It looks like it's driving a bidding war. Sure. But those offer those buyers and offers would still have been there with or without the technology. 
I think that's right. I think we always say the market finds the right price for a property. A willing, a willing buyer, what a willing buyer is willing to buy and a willing seller is willing to sell for, whether it's the, the estate the agent area, or the platform. The only point I would say or area where, yes, it possibly does drive a slightly higher price is whereby you would have had buyers pulling out or stopping their offers because they didn't trust, they didn't believe that the other buyer was real. Good so I have had successful buyers who have paid a bit more than maybe that they thought they would or they would have hoped. And they said to me, because I happen to be chatting to them, even though they're dealing with the agent, they're saying, look, I, you know, I continued bidding because I knew that this, it was legitimate. It was real. I probably would have pulled out earlier if I thought that somebody was messing me around. So that's the area. But the buyer isn't necessarily complaining. He just said that's the market. That's great. Okay, well, Robert, I really appreciate you coming on and explaining that to our listeners. If anyone out there is in the start of their bidding journey, I recommend you go and look at offer.io. They've got a really good page there which explains how it works. There's a good buyer's guide on that site as well. And you can register there and start uploading your details so that if you do come across a property with a, a, an agent who is using offer, then you're ready to go. Yeah, Thanks and for all, all, all properties that agents are using offer for are all listed on our website so there's a kind of a one-stop resource to, to see what properties are available that has the offer technology on it oh, that's even better there's another portal to look at brilliant robert thanks for coming on today pleasure no problem at all you've saved your deposit got your mortgage approval and you're bidding on your dream home hoping to go sale agreed soon but have you sorted out your mortgage protection it could be something that puts a spanner in your home buying journey at the very last minute. It's a legal requirement to have mortgage protection in place before you can draw down your loan. If you can't qualify, you might not get your final approval and you'll lose out on your dream property. It pays to speak to the experts early to make sure you're covered. Our partners at Beat the Bank are the simplest way to get protected in just a few clicks. Go to beatthebank.ie, fill out their simple forms and you can have a quote within minutes. Don't just go with the standard mortgage protection offered by your lender. Beat the Bank could be 40% cheaper. You can sign up in minutes completely online and find policies from just €10 Euro a month. Beat the Bank price match all the top insurers, then get you a discount off the best rate. So whether you're soon to buy your first home or you already have mortgage protection in place already, go to Beat the Bank today to see what you could save. And now for our final features. So for our in, out and away this week, I'm bringing it back to home. The last few weeks, we've been all around the country. So I'm bringing it back to South County, Dublin. And these are three properties that my agency churches are actually selling. Our first for in this week is 65 Spring Hill Avenue. This is one that I've been viewing over the last few weeks. It's been a pleasure to sell. Uh, it's on the market for 795,000 euros. It's a four bed, a three bath, semi-detached house. It's very unusual design on Spring Hill Avenue, very high peaked roofs. This one has been beautifully converted. The attic has been done properly. So you have four proper bedrooms and the ground floor has been extended in the past for an open plan kitchen, living, dining room. And then lovely back garden with a garden room, which would be a great home office. Uh, this is upgraded to a B3 and it's 175 square meter four bed. Shows what you can get in Black Rock for around 800,000 euros. Now to go away, we're going slightly further out from, although Black Rock is not an inner city, it's a suburban location, going a bit further out to Glenageary. This is 22 Thomastown Road. This is a four bed extending to almost 250 square meters. Uh, it's on the market for 750. Uh, it's a B1 rated, so it has been upgraded as well. Not only does this provide a three bed house with an attic room as well, 
It also has a granny flat built over the side passage garage, and that gives you another bedroom and bathroom and living area as well. Uh, this is a really interesting house, uh, great for 750 to get a much larger property. Uh, it's a little bit further out than Black Rock, but another fantastic South Dublin look. Finally, our away property. This gets you just out of town to Enniskerry, a beautiful, famous little village just on the outskirts of Dublin. It's barely a 20-minute commute into the main parts of town. This is Silverwood, a detached bungalow all over the ground floor, uh, extending to about 150 square meters. It is a four-bed with three baths, and it has been beautifully done up inside, externally wrapped and insulated. It is in very, very good condition. It's a C2 rated, and it sits on an acre of land with a lovely stream running through it. You could really make something of this beautiful idol. Uh, it feels like you're out in the middle of rural Wicklow, but actually it's a two-minute walk into Enniskerry Village with all the shops and schools and cafes and pubs there. This is a wonderful location. This is on the market for €725,000. So which would you choose from our three properties? Number one, the inn property in Black Rock for almost 800000 a four-bed semi-detached house. Our way is a four-bed plus granny flat for 750000 and it's about 30% bigger. Or do we go further out into the countryside where you get an acre of land for a similar price on the edge of a little village, a slightly smaller house, but in very good condition? Let me know in the comments on social media which one of our three properties you would choose. Now for new home versus old home this week, I'm sticking to the same South Dublin area. These are not homes we're selling, but we are looking at new homes that are coming out of the ground in Cherrywood. Uh, this is Mercer Vale. This is being built by Cairn Homes, who have a small part of the wider Cherrywood estate. It's a fascinating development, which will create a whole new town in South County Dublin of, I think, 3,000 homes in the end. Uh, they've already pre-built all the roads. There's fantastic sports pitches and even building schools. And now the homes are starting to go in. The first few initial schemes are on sale now. These Mercer Vale three beds are around 114 square meters, A2 rated semi-detached red brick homes. That's kind of small for a three bed, so you're getting a lot tighter space than uh, perhaps an older property. And the back gardens are kind of small as well, but beautiful modern homes, very easy to run. And you're in that new parkland in this new town of Cherrywood. By comparison, I've picked an old home. It's not that old. Uh, these are Inglewood Nook. Number five is on the market. They're only less than five years old. These are three-story red brick terraces, and they're actually spectacular looking. Uh, this runs to the same sort of price, €895,000. It is 176 square meters, and it's an A3 rated as well, so not much difference there. But you're getting a lot more value for your money. You're getting a bigger house. Uh, you have the third floor converted into a large master bedroom, and you're getting a slightly bigger garden as well. This is just over the motorway into Carrot Mines, so a slightly different location, but all in the same sort of square couple of miles. So what would you choose? A brand new built home, which is A2 rated, but is slightly smaller. Or would you go for what I call nearly new, which I like. They feel a bit more lived in. The owners have put their own stamp on it, maybe a new color scheme, some beautiful flooring in this one, and just allow the trees and landscaping around the estate to mature. I like these nearly new properties. They can sometimes be uh, better than almost the, the brand new out of the box estate. So Tell me in the comments which one of these two you would choose. Finally, in our news section, there's only one really big item of news I want to bring to you today. Uh, just this afternoon, they flagged the central bank will relax their mortgage lending rules and allow the three and a half times income limit to be increased to a maximum of four times income limit. Also, Harry will relax the loan-to-value ratios of 10% for a second-time buyer. But in theory, it will allow buyers to borrow a bit more 
as they are struggling to buy as the prices have increased so much in the last few years. Is this a good thing at this time when the market is potentially on a precipice and cost of living is getting out of control? It may be proven wrong, but it might look a godsend for people on lower salaries who are hoping to borrow as much as they can to buy their first home. But one thing to remember, it doesn't mean a bank has to lend you four times income. They will still do the same affordability checks and a stress test to see that you can afford the repayments and the repayments if interest rates go up any further, which they are kind of expected to do. So a bank may only tell you or we can lend you two and a half times your income or three and a half times your income. They are not obliged to give you the four times income. Go speak to a mortgage broker or your bank and find out what you can afford with them. That's our news for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode seven. Next week, we're going to be finalizing the buying process and moving on into the important steps to what to do when you go sale agreed. This is a really crucial stage. I get loads of questions on, so I'm really looking forward to covering this over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe and leave a review if you can and follow us on social media at Irish Home Magazine and go to irishhome.ie if you want to buy the journal. All the best and I'll talk to you next week.